If you would turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Our scripture reading there. A familiar story, probably one of the most familiar stories that Jesus told. Now the tax collectors and sinners, look at verse 1, were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And over to verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, 
For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, as we come to this story, we pray you would give us understanding and that you would uh, work upon our own hearts and we might see ourselves here as well. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Being a well-known story, sometimes we can get uh, locked into seeing things in a particular way. It is critical to this passage, of course, to see verse 1. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is to Christ. But the sinners of Israel, those who were downcast and the refuse of society and by their behavior as well, they had squandered their inheritance of Israel. Um, Jesus is receiving them. And verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And they are resentful over those rebellious ones who are receiving the gospel. So this story is not a story of a moment of conversion as we evangelicals like to read into it. It's really a story about Israel, the people of God, and those within the nation who have lost their way. And there's nothing in our text that would identify the Father as being God, though much in our text we know is like God. But there's no internal evidence that identifies him as God. In fact, Luke typically records Jesus when he tells stories of the Father as the Father being Father Abraham. Um, the Father Abraham with, through whom the nation of Israel would be created uh, by faith. And then, of course, the celebration, the party is central. It's central to verse 3, and the uh, hundred sheep and the sheep that is found, and rejoice with me, I found my sheep, and there's joy in heaven. And then the lost coin, there's, there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. When one sinner, a child of Abraham, returns home. And so it's very much a story of wayward Israel. Israel created through the promises God made to Abraham. And those within Israel who have left their inheritance, they've left their heart and noble calling, they've left their home. I ran away from home as a wee lad. I was embittered because I believed no one understood me. No one loved me as they should. No one cared about me. Uh, I packed some food. I wrote a note to my parents to tell them I had run away in case they weren't worried. And as I went, I made it to the nearest forest bush there. I sat on a log for a little while, then I went home. I knew I had to go home. My parents 
didn't even have time to find the letter and read it, so. This younger home, this younger son, he leaves home. He's rejecting his home, isn't he? In no uncertain terms, he's rejecting his upbringing. And what he says to his father is very cruel. It's very hurtful. It's very much humiliating what he does to his father. In verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. This would typically happen at the father's death. And for him to make that claim now is very much to be saying, I wish you were dead to his father. I wish you were dead. In an honor society where honor was so important, it's a devastating attack on the father. It's heartless and it's mean. And he rejects the home of his birth and the place of nurture and the place of love. And he severs himself from everything he knew, his way of living, his relationships, his family, all of their love, everything is betrayed, everything is despised, discarded. He is rebellious. And he desires to live his life as he wants, to make his own choices, going in a different direction. He fails to realize that all he has is from the Father. Give to me, he said to his Father. Everything he has is from the Father. And he hopes to find in that far country that he goes to what he couldn't find at home. And he has to hate his home to do it. He must degrade his home. He has to see his father's home as somehow lacking or restraining. And so he heads out into the world, the text tells us, to a far country where he took that journey. He heads out into the world to enjoy the world and to partake in what the world offers. John writes in 1 John, he says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And what we have is a picture of the Jews who were tax collectors and sinners. They were the, that was the, the phrase used to mean those who had um, degraded themselves, who were obviously living lives of rebellion and sin. And they'd walked away from their call as the people of God. They were seeking to be free from the restraints of honor and free from family and obligations and expectations, looking for a better love. They didn't free from necessary obedience, free from borders and boundaries and fences. The, the son goes to this far-off country, and we read there that he squandered his property, verse 13, in reckless living. Reckless living. Hmm. He wasted all. in immoral living. Now, this way is where we can see ourselves in this story. 
Because in Jesus Christ, we too are children of Abraham. Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. By faith, we repented of our sins. By faith, we believed in Christ. We were converted to Christ. One people of God in faith. You are a chosen race, he says. Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we are prone to leave our spiritual home, to leave God, the one we say we love, to leave obedience to him, to dabble here and there in rebellion and sin. We listen sometimes to voices that tell us that God is not enough, that his ways are confining. They're old-fashioned. His word is not relevant today. He is withholding something good from us. He doesn't want us to enjoy life and sensuality and partying and a lot of people, their lives. If you were to believe what's being told to us on commercials and marketers, that their whole purpose of life is to have a fun life and to have experiences, to spend and spend on fun and experiences. And really, what, when a Christian walks that path and walks away into sin, leaving home, he's saying to, to God, I wish you were dead. Give to me, and I am gone. And I'll go impress people, and I'll gain their admiration and their f friendship in that far country. I'll make a difference. I'll find happiness. I'll... I'll have fun. God doesn't force his love on any of us. And he doesn't compel us to love him. We are always free to leave him at any time. But don't leave him. Don't leave him. Trust that he has what's best for you in mind. Keep the faith, obey him, trust his word, not the world, not your flesh. Yesterday I was with one of my sons and I said, we're talking about something and I said, well, my flesh would tell me this, to do this, behave this way. And typically I do the opposite of what my flesh wants. And usually that's the right thing to do. To put to death our rebellious spirit that's wanting always so often to go away from, from home, our spiritual home. Because if we do leave him, what we end up finding eventually is not promises of fun and happiness or whatever, what we end up finding in time is disillusionment. 
emptiness and bondage. And that's what this young son finds. This son who squandered everything, he sold his birthright. Just like Esau sold, uh, or Jacob sold his, uh, Esau sold his birthright to Esau, despising it. We sell it. And he finds himself in severe hunger, severe enough that he would eat pig's food if he could. But even that is denied him. All gone are his robes, his jewels, his shoes. He's dirty, he's ragged, he's barefoot, he's a beggar, and he's doing the labor of a slave just to stop the pains in his stomach. And there's all self-respect is gone. He's being treated as less than human, as a pig. And it's in that moment we read verse 17, which is a mysterious statement. But when he came to himself, it's, it's mysterious in that we don't, we don't really know how that happens apart from the Spirit of God. That somehow he was brought to his senses. Something awakened within him spiritually. Something caused him to dwell on, on this. Look at what he says. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. And then he begins to express some awareness of the grief he has caused his father and the awful sin of rebellion. And he's planning on going to the father and telling his father he sinned against heaven, that's where God is, and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. Uh, it's mysterious how that happens, isn't it? Where one day, you know, after many days perhaps of walking away from home in that far country, spiritually dry, spiritually dying, partaking of sins and worldliness, and suddenly you get up one morning and, and you see something different. You, you, you feel it, you know it, there's something different. You come to your senses, and you know you got to get, get home. you got to get back, back to God, spiritually repenting and getting things right and being renewed and revived. You know, this is a good prayer to pray. It's a prayer I pray for my loved ones about the mysterious working of God. I pray, Lord, bring them to their senses. Bring them to themselves in some mysterious way. You know, in that far country too, you can start feeling very dangerous thoughts. It can be dark and dreary and you start thinking, I'm worthless, I'm useless, I'm no good. I'm nobody, I'm unlovable, I'm, I'm nothing but a burden on people. I'm, 
be better for everyone if I just went and lived in the forest, away from people. How can God love me? I'm such a sinner. I'm a thorn instead of wheat. I'm a, a weed instead of barley. I'm forgotten like a dead man. I am like broken pottery. But look at what he says. He, he, he says, really, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a child. Of, he says, I'm a child of a father. And we come to our senses. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of God. We come to our senses. We're children of Abraham. And that means something valuable. That's incredible. He heads home. He remembers he's a son of Abraham. He's a people from a people chosen by God. And he doesn't yet in, understand the enormity of the Father's love. But let's jump ahead here to the second son because this too is about wayward sons of Israel. If you remember, it was the Pharisees there and scribes who were upset with Jesus that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners who wanted to hear the gospel. And so they are typified as the eldest son. The elder son, verse 25, was in the field. He came and drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. So I imagine this fellow had a solid reputation. I mean, he would be upstanding. He stayed, he never left like that black sheep of the family. He stayed. Probably the neighbors would speak well of him. He's respected, he's praised, he's admired, he's a model son. He's a good churchgoer, <laughs> a spiritual giant perhaps. But the return of his brother has revealed a darkness within him, that there's a darkness there. He's angry, isn't he? He's bitter. Look at verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. He's angry, he's bitter, he's sullen, he's self-righteous. And there's an air of jealousy and envy and selfishness, you know. He hears the joy of heaven, as it were. He hears the celebration, the family home, the community celebrating in his father's home. And he hears what's happened. And rather than entering into the joy he won't go in. And so sort of like water simmering. You can see the turmoil within, but you turn it up a degree, and suddenly all these bubbles are boiling and, and overflowing. This is sort of like his heart. Everything now is just boiling, and it's coming to the surface, and it's spilling out. And he... And while he's not the rebellious son, he certainly is the resentful son. He resents, he resents his, his brother, he resents his father. He's very rude, very rude to his father. How dare you? It's like he's saying, how dare you? These many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. How dare you? 
I've been obedient and faithful. I deserve more than him. How dare you? I've been serving and upright. I deserve more than any. How dare you? I'm better. I'm Saul and I'm here. I'm, I'm the greater son. How dare you? Resentment is a slow, simmering, awful thing that eventually boils over. Imagine a car accident for a moment, and you have a choice. You've been in this car accident. You can either choose resentment that God allowed it to happen and resent God for it, or you can choose the opposite of resentment, which is gratitude. Gratitude that you have some lessons to learn And what is God teaching me? And gratitude, you weren't hurt worse than you were. It can be hard to look at all of the daily events in our life with gratitude to God if we're practiced to see those those events through the lens of resentment. We have a choice, resentment or gratitude. It's the same picture, and so what, what will you choose in your relationships, in your daily living? This son is resentful, and we don't know if he went in. We don't know if he went in. It's left an open question, verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate, the father said, and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is incredible news. We don't know if this older son changed. We are Christians and children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died for us. He's our Savior and our Lord. And in this story which is for the people of God. We can ask ourselves if we're the younger child who is wandering away from home and looking and longing for the far country, longing for all of the offerings of the world, and time and again falling into sin, leaving your heritage in Jesus Christ, leaving your inheritance, and you have all of his gifts of time, treasure, talents, and, 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 and we can squander them and waste them and scatter them. And so are you rebellious? And so off you go. The invitation is here before us. Won't you come to your senses? Won't you come to yourself and return home? Or are you the older brother, resentful, simmering resentment, comparing and counting the blessings of others, wondering if you've been shortchanged a little bit, it's not fair to God, and you're doing the right things for the, the wrong reasons? And you think you deserve more. Why is this person? And you have that competitive 
spirit, and you deserve better than you're getting from God. And we can fail to rejoice when someone else is blessed, and we can fail to sorrow when someone else weeps. We're invited into the place of joy as well. We're invited in, filled with gratitude, not resentment. And the final option, of course, is the the father in the story. His compassion for the suffering of his own is incredible. His tender mercy towards both his sons is awesome. The sins of his children grieve him. He hopes they will return. He's ready. He's watching for their return. And he has nothing but love for them, both of them. And he has no desire but to bless them. And this father leaves his home for both of his sons, doesn't he? For the younger son, he saw him a ways off and ran out to him. And for the older son, we read that he went out to him. Hmm. Because they wouldn't, he wouldn't come in. And he just ignores the slights. He ignores the humiliation. He ignores the public degradation of his honor. He just gives, and he gives some more. And he puts on the the garments of family. And he celebrates with a meal. Rejoice with me. And he calls everyone in heaven, as we know, ultimately, to rejoice over one sinner that repents. There's celebration in heaven when a child of Abraham repents. So could it be that you have a rebellious spirit? Choose obedience and stay home with the Father. Be spiritually grounded in the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you're in a far country, repent. Come back, he'll receive you. Are you resentful, counting blessings? And choose gratitude. Gratitude for every blessing that's come to you. And rejoice with others. You could say in your heart that I'm on the way home, Lord. I know I have to go home. And I'm on the way home. Out of all these three, I'd I'd like to be the father in this story. I'd like to have his spirit. We together could strive to have his spirit, which is loving and giving and celebrating. We strive for that as we wrestle more often being the younger son or the older son. 
Ron Lee Davis tells the story of Robert Robinson, who was a poet in the last century and late 1800s. And he was out for a walk, this poet, uh, on a Sunday morning. There were people back then were hurrying to go to church in the city that he lived in. But Robert Robertson didn't go to church anymore, hadn't for a very long time. Once he had worshipped, but no longer. Once he had followed the Lord, but he, he had fallen away. And he wrote the poem that you have in, many of you have in your hands, which was put to music. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune thy heart, my heart, to sing thy grace. And on that Sunday morning, a carriage stopped by. And the lady in the carriage said, Sir, uh, would you like a ride to church? Are you going to church? And he was about to say no, for he hadn't in a long time. But something happened, that mysterious thing. He said yes. He got in the carriage and the lady said, let me read to you a poem. And she read, come thou fount of every blessing, not knowing that the very writer of the poem was sitting there in front of her. And as she read, Robert Robinson began to cry. He began to cry and tears just welled up and he said to her, you know, I wrote these words long ago and I have lived these words. Notice the ones that are highlighted. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I have lived that life, he said. And this woman understood immediately. She said, but, sir, she said, don't stop there. For you also wrote, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. <laughs> you can offer your heart again to God, she said. It's not too late, Mr. Robinson. And it wasn't too late. He repented. He turned his heart back to God and, and it's reported that he followed the Lord the rest of his days eh. prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love let's pray together Father in our own hearts just that one one mysterious moment of repentance, one, one turn of our step toward home, one desire for obedience, one moment of gratitude to you, dear God, is all it takes to bring you, the triune God, out from your throne to welcome us and greet us and fill the heavens with shouts and sounds of celebration and joy. Oh, we praise you. Thank you. 
If any here, Father, need to return to you, help them to know that, to come to their senses, to do that mysterious work, whether they're the resentful one or the rebellious one. We know there's always hope because of who you are and that you are always tenderly calling us home. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.